Well, The Jamie Show. If you're listening to this show, that means you're ready for breakthroughs. This is where you'll get a deep dive view of relationships that work and relationships that are a no-no. Here's your host, Jamie Hirsch. Welcome, everyone. This is your host, Jamie Hirsch. And today we have a very special guest, a woman that is impacting lives all over the world and continues to do so. Dr. Manal Fakori is the president and CEO of Fakori Leadership International and a clinical consultant pharmacist. She is a passionate advocate for enriching her community, working with organizations like Go Red for Women with the AHA, Korean and TEDx Ocala, YMCA, Florida Department of Corrections, and many more. Dr. Fakori believes that women must stand up and speak out for change within their own communities and actively work towards achieving that change. She's dedicated to taking the cleach out of world peace and inspiring women across the world to work towards local service for global impact. She's been honored with many community awards. Let's welcome Dr. Manal Fakori. For having me on the call today. It's my pleasure to share a little bit about my journey and my ability to just really share where I've been and how I feel and see if it resonates with the listeners. Uh, my name is Manal Fakori. I was born in Palestine in a small village. My family, because of what was happening in the Middle East at the time, it was not a good uh, place to grow up. We had moved to Kuwait. But eventually, in 1969, so 50 years ago, when we immigrated to the U.S., initially to California, had an uncle that was there that did the paperwork for us. I'm a Palestinian-American. I'm Muslim-American. And I came from an amazing family. And sometimes when I'm in a position to talk about what is my superpower, I often say it was my parents. I grew up with the most secure, loving feeling, knowing that I had the very best parents. And that really has stayed with me, including my siblings. Um, unfortunately, we lost my mother in 2001, and my mother was a huge influence in my life. She was the matriarch of the community, very loving. And whenever I'm asked to speak about someone in terms of the endearing story or the touching story, which is a project that we do in an organization that I'm a member of, Toastmasters, I, can, I can't seem to ever do it about anyone other than my mom, because my mom was so special to myself and to the family, to the community. But, um, so growing up, um, you know, we came from the you know, Muslim understanding, and something that's interesting, I think, what sometimes people miss, um, is that in our faith and our culture, I think they go hand in hand. So, for example, I don't see that there's a huge difference um, from being, you know, the Muslim tradition or the Jewish tradition or the Christian tradition. We even say that we are the Abrahamic faith. Um, we are the people of the book. But the difference, what I notice, is culturally there is a, uh, a separation where the Muslim tradition and the culture, you know, growing up in the Middle East, to me, um, for the most part, at least it was my understanding, were more congruent. So when we came to the U.S., you know, we came um, and we held to our values, and by those values, I'm referencing, you know, really being 
careful about the interaction between boys and girls, you know, dating is current, um, and, and honestly, I mean, for me, I understood that the first man that you kissed was your husband. So I know that seems really odd in today's society, and it's something that even seemed odd to my daughters, and I have four daughters and a son, but I grew up with that thinking of that message and I was comfortable with it. And the nice thing about it for myself personally, which made it really easy, is I was very involved in school. I was involved in, from a young age, from middle school to high school, you know, academically, I was very engaged and, you know, wanted to always achieve and learn. Um, athletically, I was very athletic and I went to small middle school, high school, so I was very involved in sports. I was involved in student government. So my fulfillment and my significance is something that I was able to attain, not from relationships, you know, by having someone you know, special to me. And it's not to say that I wasn't attracted to boys because I was, but I also knew that I wasn't at a point in my life where I needed to have a serious relationship because other than having a, a young man, another guy, you know, be a friend to me, I wasn't looking for a romantic relationship as a young woman. And then when I went away to college, um, I, again, um, you know, really was very involved. I did my undergraduate and my graduate at the University of Southern California, um, you know, biological sciences initially, and then I continued to get my doctorate of pharmacy from USC. And um, on campus, um, I have shared with some of my friends, I actually had more male friends than I did female friends. I was very involved in residential life, where you are the RA, the resident advisor, so I would have students that I was taking care of, mentoring um, in the dorm, and then later even in the apartments. Great, great opportunity to feel that you knew and you were really involved in what was happening in campus life. I later on, um, and then through pharmacy school, it was about that, that was about the time that that I started to go to the Islamic Center for the first time to a youth group, and interestingly. It was at the youth group that I met my husband, who is now my husband, Riyadh. And what's interesting about that story with Riyadh is we both happened to attend this youth group the very same week. And he showed up long before I did, happened to be sitting in the room. And the story that he shared is that the minute I walked in, I saw her in the doorway and I saw the slide. And I said to myself, I'm going to marry this woman. And the cute thing is he happened to be sitting next to this big guy. And he looked at him and said, who's that? And the guy said to him, that's my sister. And Riyadh was going to school at the University of California, um, Northridge. And the majority of us students, the youth group, we were either from the University of Southern California or the University of California, LA, UCLA. And yet here's Riyadh, who went to a different you know, part of the UC system. I mean, a good school, but he wasn't part of any of the, the two schools where the majority of us were from. And I recall that he started to get to know me. And, and again, at this point now, I'm just starting you know, pharmacy school. And I really wasn't ready for a relationship. I was more focused on career and you know, doing the right rotation, meeting the right people, setting myself up. And I just, honestly, I wasn't attracted. I just didn't have, the chemistry wasn't there. And, and what Riyadh was so 
sleep, and he would say to me, for example, right after the program, would you like me to follow you just to make sure you got home okay? It was only maybe a 10-minute drive, and I would politely say, no, thank you. And I even remember telling a lot of my girlfriends, whoever he marries, he's going to treat her really well, that it wasn't going to be me. Several years go by, we recall that as Riyadh graduates from chiropractic school, so he's a doctor of chiropractic, my parents were invited to his graduation. And my parents went, I didn't go, and then later, a year later, they're invited to his brother's wedding, and my parents asked me to go. And because it was in the LA area, which is where USC was, and I was living on campus, I agreed to attend the wedding, but I only went for a few minutes. And here at this wedding, it was interesting, this is kind of an interesting point, because I grew up conservative in the sense that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that you don't really get serious about boys until you're you're ready to get married. And in my family, and in my case, I would even describe myself as moderate. It wasn't that I didn't interact. I actually interacted a lot with men, but I was always very conservative in my behavior. So I wasn't trying to do anything to create a romantic relationship with anyone, but I definitely enjoyed the friendship, the exchange of ideas, studying together, working on projects, so all that would take place. But I knew, and I drew the line, that I wasn't looking to get involved romantically with anyone. And when I attended this wedding, Riyadh came up to me and asked me to dance, and I said no. And what was so funny is my parents were saying, go ahead and dance. And then I wasn't accustomed to them even feeling that way, but of course they did like Riyadh. And then, you know, an hour later, Riyadh comes back and says, would you like dance? And once again, I say no. And then he, a third, he comes even a third time and says, this is the last time I'm going to ask you. And I said, no. <laughs> and so this is sweet Riyadh. It's his patience. In any case, what happens between us, as an example, just of our own love story, is I'm finishing up pharmacy school. He comes to Florida, opens up his chiropractic office. Initially, his parents were already living in person Daytona, but they had moved to Ocala and they had encouraged him to come to open up his medical practice in Ocala. And he had shared with his father that he wanted to get married and all the girls that he's ever met that he's always felt like about me. And our parents had become friends because there was a connection where his father knew my uncle in Kuwait. And it, so there was a friendship that had developed between the parents. And so when the parents came to visit us in California from Florida, I was asked to come home and, and to be at this dinner. And I recall regretting uh, just being almost resentful, not wanting to come to the dinner. And what was, again, interesting is that this dinner at my parents' house, they were trying to allow us to spend time traveling together and they would purposely walk out of the room to give us a chance to speak. And we finally went on a walk, and I recall telling the guys, listen, you're a really nice guy. I'm just not interested. And he said to me, well, can I just call you? And back then, we did not have cell phones. All we had were the landlines. And I had agreed to let him call me, but when he started to call me, I wouldn't answer the phone. And again, it would just be an answering machine. And then slowly, things did start to change. We were invited to come to Florida. And being a girl in California that had never come and been to Florida and back in the 80s, 
that's called this news here. It was exciting hearing about this center where you could visit the world. And I agreed to come to Florida with my parents, not alone, but with my parents, to visit, really because I just wanted to see Epcot. And the invitation was for us to stay a week. I only agreed to stay for two days, where my poor parents did stay the whole week. And I even had said to at the time, when we did go out to Epcot together, I can introduce you to all these other girls. And I started numbering and you know, so giving him a rundown on the different girls in that youth group that, where we met. And, of course, that's not what he was interested in. But slowly as he then, that was really a turning point because he, he did start to call me. I did start to pick up an answer, and the friendship grew. And very often now, what I'll say is I married the right man. And I'm so blessed to have a wonderful, wonderful husband and something that we both have total trust in each other. And that's one of the greatest feelings when you don't have any doubt that your husband is committed to you and that we're both committed to each other. And we both work very hard. So... Um, we can, you know, travel separately or you know, pursue these projects that we pursue. But I know that I can depend on him 100% and he can depend on me. And I, and, I, and I love that our children can observe that and see that. And, and they desire to have the same type of relationship. And with Riyadh, you know, it doesn't mean we don't have our little spats between each other. But I think it's deeper because it's faith-based is our relationship. There's a real deep commitment to each other. And there's no doubt in my mind that we will, God willing, grow old together. And then one day, you know, when it's time, you know, that's, you know, I don't see either one of us going in a different direction or a great couple of our marriage because that's solid. And it's really awesome to have that feeling to grow up in complete trust. Now, for example, when I look at Riyadh, very often I say to my friends, when, when I look at him as a son to his parents, he is off the charts. I have not seen many men that will do for their parents what Riyadh is willing to do and sacrifice and the energy and the time that he spends. And his parents are getting a little bit older. His mom is 91 and his dad will be turning 98 in a few days. Amazing son. And then when I look at him as a father, I think the same. And probably that would be the next category I would prioritize. He's an amazing father. So off the charts of the son, amazing father, really concerned about the kids and their safety and their well-being. We'll make sacrifices. When they were young, he would help with the tutoring. We both worked really hard, but we would still find time to make sure academically that they had what they needed. And I think sometimes, you know, when you look at our family, people might say, oh, they're so busy. Are they really involved with their kids? In the same business, we have been. But when you have five children, you have more. You have to divide up your time and their activities. If you have one kid that's playing travel soccer and they take you away for the weekend, then it takes time from the other kids. But overall, I think our children can tell you that they felt the love, they felt the attention, even with us. And, and for me personally, I didn't work full time. And I had some flexibility. I always worked, but I didn't work full time. So I had the flexibility of being there for the kids when they needed me to be there. Um, and then the next category would be, you know, Riyadh is a husband. So I would rank that first. Not that he's not a great husband, and I've already stated that he is, but he just does such an amazing job caring for his parents. And if you remember the saying, where we say, if you want to see how a man will treat 
his wife, see how he treats his mother. And if there's truth to that, then I'm completely set. Other things that I can share is, you know, my whole philosophy in bringing up daughters here in America that were all born here and wanted to hold to the tradition is we were growing up here in the U.S. It surprised me when we traveled back to the Middle East and we learned that a lot of our cousins who were our age who grew up, whether it was in Jordan or Palestine or even some of them in Kuwait, they had been more, you know, modernized. They had learned in some cases, yes, they had secret portions that we would hear about and they were, the things that they would be willing to wear were not as conservative as things that I would wear. So, for example, I don't like to wear no sleeves out in public. I will not do that just because it, I consider myself as a Muslim woman, even though I don't wear the hijab, I don't wear the scarf, but it's within my own dress code that I have for myself is to be more conservative by wearing at least short sleeves. But then my cousins that were my age were very comfortable in wearing the tank top look. So that was a surprise to me. And it just goes to show that you know, there's a whole spectrum and people will do the way, whatever that they are comfortable with and what they think is right. And now, and, and yet again, and that was a challenge for myself with bringing up our daughters. In, I remember even we saying to me things that your daughters are not you. And they're, I don't like how they're dressing. Their aggressive may be too short or they need to put a jacket on or the cleavage line is low. And he's right, you know, we have lots of conversations about that and, you know, self-respect and making sure that you're not tempting someone and that you really are presenting yourself as who you want to be in the world. Uh, and this brings me back to a memory of a college friend that I had named Cindy. And Cindy and I had become really close. We were both resident advisors in college. And our floors were adjacent to each other. And Cindy's attitude and philosophy was, you want to date as many guys as possible because this is how you learn what you really want when you want to get married. And you want to think about it as a strand of pearls and you're just collecting the pearls. And believe it or not, whatever I see a strand of pearl, that story comes back to me of Cindy's advice. And I tended to be completely different. I didn't agree with that philosophy of that you have to date as many guys as possible. And actually, you don't even date in the same way that she didn't define dating. But rather, when you're serious about getting married, and it's something that I pass on to my daughters, is it's fine to be a mixed company, and it's good to know people and enjoy them and get to know who they are in a group setting, not one-on-one. And you don't even start entertaining the one-on-one until you're really serious about getting to know someone with that intention of marriage. I just love that. I think it's more pure. It reduces all these comparisons that you now later have. And when you're ready to find the person who is right for you, I think it actually builds for a stronger relationship, not a weaker relationship. You're not comparing all these men to other men that you've been with, but rather having this very special relationship. And I think, quite frankly, that's how to teach you even in the church. I think you know, some churches teach the same thing. If there's a separation for me that I've noticed in the Muslim faith and the Middle East is, for the most part, that you have those, they're aligned. We're here, we preach freedom all the time, and yet we, we live in a very hypersexual society, which really just wreaks even more pain and sadness and 
in college, I had a roommate from Hong Kong for one summer, for the summer program. And interestingly, our conversation was that she didn't want to, did not want to lose her virginity and was so worried. And then a week later, you know, she comes late at night and she comes to me and she's crying. And she's crying because she had basically not kept and did not honor her own goal and had slept with someone. And realized the minute that she did that, that she would lose that relationship. And sure enough, and it haunted her in the summer that I lived with her. So relationships can be, you know, a source of a lot of joy. They can be a source of a lot of pain. And I think it's important for young women. I know there's different beliefs. And not to say I'm just sharing my own belief and what has worked for me and where I stand. It's nice to be moderate in the sense of being comfortable to understand and have friendship. But when it comes to that real romantic relationship, it, it, to, to select and to choose to keep that very special and unique for a certain time in your life when you're really ready to commit. When I, when I was in college, back even before pharmacy school and undergrad, just to show you how times have changed, I traveled and spent a summer in Toluca, Mexico. And what was interesting was the chaperones that were there pretended to be married because the climate at the time was people didn't live together openly. It would have been criticized. It wouldn't have been allowed by the university. So they stayed together as chaperones for this entire summer with us in Mexico. And we all learned later when we came back that he proposed to her. And, and we were, we heard the story of how he proposed to her. Yet the entire time that we were there for the summer, we were under understanding that they were a married couple. So society and our acceptance of you know, these relationships completely have changed and, and may continue to change. And I think even now when we look at, when people talk about marriage, you know, it could, it doesn't even mean man and woman anymore. So there's been a lot of changes and, uh, just honor that we have the ability and freedom to share our ideas. And in the end, what I've decided, even with my own children, is to choose joy no matter what. I can give them some advice. I can give them guidance. But I'm not in a position to dictate if they're making their own mistakes. They're going to make their mistakes. If they're not going to carry on the same belief, I'm not going to push it down their throat. I would hope that they have good examples and make the decisions for their own relationships in their life, but it's not something that I'm going to take to them because I know it doesn't work. And that, I think, gives me a summary of the sharing. I hope I shared something of value for your listeners, Jamie. Thank you so much, Manal. That was incredible. Now, you mentioned certain things I wanted to highlight. After years of Rhea chasing after you, there was a turning point. There seemed to be a turning point. What was that turning point for you? I know you started communicating with him on the phone. Now, were you living in California at the time and he in Florida? Correct. And it's, and it's so cute because he gave me his calling card number. So when I was, for example, you know, studying in the evening for an exam I'm in the library and then I'd go back, there'd be a payphone and I could easily quickly use his calling card number to reach to reach him. So the turning point really happened just from his, one, even for persistence, but his kindness. He was such a gentleman. He was amazing. And, and I recall
call one time when he came to visit me in California when we were still getting to know each other before there was an actual commitment of engagement and marriage. He looked at me, and it was the end of the day, and he's like, wow, you look so beautiful at the end of the day. And there's a type of woman, the older you get, the more beautiful you will become. Now, is that not an amazing line? Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, think about it, honestly. Like, I've never forgotten that. I can remember exactly the, you know, where I was, when he said it, what I was wearing. And it was, it was authentic. It was honest. Yeah, I think he just said it like that. But it was just one of those reflection points, you know, of the those really cool comments. And I thought, wow, that's an awesome comment. I would give credit to all the men that are listening. The older you get, the the more beautiful you look. Is that what you said? Yeah, the more beautiful you look. Ah, what a great tweet. Now, I also, um, so you mentioned long-distance relationship. You're in California. He's in Florida. He's trying to get to know you. How often did you guys see each other? Um, you know, great question. And what we um, mapped out for our, that year, especially once we became engaged, um, it was telling each other, you know, that the cusp of each work, for example, at the very end of January, and it rolled into two days into February, and then the you know, end of March rolled into April. So we probably averaged six visits that year, but we were trying to make sure that we saw each other, where we could say we saw each other every month. That's and, and, and again, you know, we, we didn't have all this instant connection like we do today and FaceTime and audio and all of that. It was just the landline phone calls and letter writing, lots of beautiful letter writing. That's awesome. Now, I know sometimes with long-distance relationship, it's sometimes tough. If you're not seeing each other, like proximity can be an issue. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, you right. said six six times a year, and that may seem very short for some, and then you still made it work. So that's uh, totally incredible. I mean, do you think there was communication constant that was also a uh, a benefit that you guys held together, communicating, even though you were not seeing yeah. each other? And I think what was also um, helpful, Jamie, in our case, and, it, and it's because everyone has their own story, so it's not to duplicate anybody else's story, and, and that's just, you know, the magic of life is, in my case, our parents became really good friends. And they both, they were so excited for both of us. So my mom loved Riyadh. I often say she loved him before I loved him. And, and I loved that he and her had this awesome friendship all along. So there was never this, oh, the dreadful mother-in-law at all, but rather the loving mother-in-law. And, and the same thing that my parents, you know, they, they remained good friends. So that was, that's helpful when your parents enjoy each other and they're good friends and they're both cheering for you. It helps a lot. You know, that's a good point you mentioned because your family does play a role in the choices you make, especially with a significant other. So, I mean, I, I see that to his benefit that you, your parents both became friends and that's amazing. Now, you mentioned dating one, then dating multiple people. Now, I know some people, you know, there are pros and cons to those, but you mentioned that instead of a comparison and comparing, when you date one, your focus is in that person and then you're able to determine if you should continue or not? Is that how monogamously dating? Is that how you would put it? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the intention and the purity behind it is you're not supposed to, even if we really look at the Islamic tradition, 
if you decide that you're getting to know someone, then, then that's it. Get to know that person. And it, so don't start to know and date people, or even if it's not even like date isn't the word the way we use the word date, but you're getting to know someone with intention to find out if it's somebody that you're interested in marrying. So the idea is that if you've already started to get to know someone, then they, you know get to know them and decide if it's going somewhere, if it's not going somewhere, and it's time to end it, then that go ahead and start talking to someone else. But it's not the idea, if you're just friendly, you know, your group setting, your youth group, and everyone is just friends, and everyone's just friends, but if you're really now trying to work on a friendship, you know, beyond the friendship, like a relationship, then, yeah, Islamically, it's not, it's discouraged that you're having all these multiple relationships simultaneously. That's not encouraged at all, and I believe in that. And I'm glad you mentioned that, because I'm usually the person that would date one, and I believe it, it takes a lot of time and energy if you're multiple dating, and I don't know how people do it. But I'm glad you mentioned that, and I totally agree. Now, you were mentioning a lot about your fate, and I wanted to ask you, in comparison to the Christian religion, they believe in sex after marriage. Is that the same with, the, with Islam? Is it, um, how, how is your take on having... Yeah. And, and I think with us, it's such a big deal that it really, it's not to say that now, you know, again, your times have changed and something doesn't happen. It's, um, you know, it's not, it's definitely frowned upon, discouraged, it's, it's against the faith. You know, premarital sex is not encouraged at all, and I, and I know the church teaches the same thing. Whether society teaches it or accepts it, I think people are very open now, and they're very accepting, and, you know, they're completely comfortable with it, but that is not um, an Islamic the, the Islamic principle is that you don't, you, know, that you don't do premarital sex, and it's something that I've really, you know, drilled with my daughters. It's something that I was very comfortable with. It was never a point of contention for me or anger. Or, I believed in that. I, I completely agreed with it, so it's really easy for me to abide to that belief. Now that's very interesting that you mentioned. So you guys do have a commonality with the with the Christian faith as far as um, you know, premarital sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I think yeah, I think I think most of us don't realize how similar the faiths are, especially the moral code. I think all I think even in Judaism it's there. I don't think anyone. I, again, if there's, there's what you have in the in the teaching. But then they have well, like the, what we call the Western, because you know the Western society is supposed to be the advanced society, which is here when we say the Western, and, you know, in the U.S. Um, although it's spreading everywhere, so that's why when people say they, they've been influenced by the West. So even if you go there, you know, in the, some of the Middle Eastern countries, you'll find that some of the things that were taboo and that are not uh, encouraged, you know, by state now. More people have started to engage in that type of activity, but yes, absolutely no premarital sex. Now, I found it very interesting that most people I talked I talked to regarding sex, um, premarital sex, it seemed to be that they have a more successful relationship, and I was wondering why. Why is that? Since you have also experienced it. Yes, yes, sorry. The ones that yeah, don't have yeah, premarital sex, yes. And I think it's um, easy. I think what happens is there's, you know, they've waited. It's something that's considered very special, very pure. It's not where you're, you know, experiencing with all these different people, but it's the, with the one person. 
And I think for that reason, there's a real commitment and understanding that this is, you know, you're giving part of yourself to someone and you, you become one. And, and I think it's for those reasons, there's a real understanding versus, you know, something very disposable. I had a woman say to me, and, and I hate to share the story, and I'm not identifying anyone, it's been years ago, she was pregnant with somebody else's child. And she had started dating someone else, and she was going to get married to him. And she said, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just get a divorce. And she hadn't even married him. And I mean, just if you go with that mindset or even that idea, I mean, what did you – and you know what? She did get a divorce. She ended up having the child. She married someone that wasn't his child, and it only lasted a couple of years. So I think people are setting themselves up for failure that way. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because you definitely see the success rate. And I mean, I'm experiencing this with those I talk to, with just not having premarital sex and the success rate they have with their marriage compared to those that do. So I'm glad you mentioned that and you shared that. So you're saying pretty much the right guy would wait for you if they really want to be with you and get married. Because sometimes that's a question with those that want to, like, let's say, test the water, as they say, or um, like you're buying a car, you want to test drive it. Like, would you say the ones that are willing to wait are usually the ones that are worth um, getting married? Or how would you... And I think there's that real understanding, even, you know, with some, and you hear the stories, you know, you see it in the movies where the girls later are regretful because, you know, they have a good time for a night or so many minutes, and then the guys basically label them, you know, hey, if you're going to do it with me, you're probably going to do it with someone else, and you're, you know, you're not marriage material. And, it's, and then there, and it's, a, it's that same thing, it's that you, you desire what you can't have, and then if these girls are just so easily giving something that's considered very special and pure and meant to, it's, it's part of recreation, such a special part of your marriage. Um, it just, you know, again, it's, and then even I think for these girls that do that, they lose track of who they are and what they really want. And it, and sometimes, you know, they do it for validity or to feel that they're included or they're thinking that it's making them loved or accepted. And it really, I think, um, backfires and it creates more pain for them. Okay. Now, another question for you is, you know, some, some men and women always want to know how, what do you look for in someone to know that they are the right person? Like, what are some things you would suggest? Thank you. Now, one other question, last question I'd like to ask Manal is, what does love mean to you? Love means Riyadh. <laughs> love is knowing that when someone needs something, when you really love them, you know, you'll jump through hoops for them. You'll figure out how to solve a problem for them, how to comfort them, how to assist them and aid them. 
really for me, love is so deep and it's so easy as a mother to just feel it over and over again. Whether it's, it's the excitement for their success, it's the pain for those moments when they fall down, but it's also, you know, knowing that they can depend on you. So this, when you have that complete, and that is like I said earlier, my superpower was just having this loving parent. And and yet my mom would say to me, I can't do half of what you, you know, for, for, for you, what you have been able to do for your children. Because I used to tell my mom, I don't think I can be like you. I don't think I can do as much as you can and what you've done for us. And she said, oh no, you know, you, you're being able, you're able to do so much more than I've ever done. But again, the love for me is just this wonderful feeling of being at peace and being able to count on someone and love them and help them, you know, through their happy times and their tough times. Beautifully said. Now, Manal, how can people connect with you? Easily, I have my website, my business website, where I do a lot of the consulting, coaching, mentoring is my Awesome. That's incredible. Now you're involved in so many different things, not only your own endeavors, but also with the community and you give back a lot. Manal, you are a phenomenal woman. I thank you so much for sharing with us today and we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me and best wishes to you, Jane. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Jamie Show. To be a guest on this show, visit jamiehirsch.com and fill out the application. You can follow The Jamie Show on Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another Breakthrough Conversation.